Brother Gail would like to hear the reading of Psalm 51, 51st chapter of Psalms. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. When Gail asked me to read this, and I realized what I was reading, um, my mind went to 1 John, and I would like to read a few verses there. And you all recognize that this is, this is David's confession after Nathan had um, had approached him and he is examining himself and I like that chapter I think the examination we it hasn't been long since we have had communion and the self-examination is so important in a Christian's life in first John in um, let's see I want to read First uh, John 1, verses 5 through 9. This, then, is the message 
which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I guess uh, I don't intend to spend very much time here, but I, I guess I want to reflect the words of a song. I stand amazed this morning because some of these thoughts about confession and um, admitting our sin and forgiveness have been on my mind. And I remember a few years ago, Dar and I visited a little church, I believe it was up in Bradford, we got there early, and we sit kind of toward the back, and there was an old lady, a worshiper, that was also there early. There, there weren't very many people there. I think it was when the, I don't remember her name, but the lady that talked about the shoes. Yeah, Sophia was going to, so, so there was going to be a big crowd, and I think that's the reason we were there. Um, this old lady sat up toward the front. And she was off to the side just enough that I could see tears streaming down her face. And I don't know what she was thinking, but it always made me think that maybe she simply was approaching the Lord Jesus. Maybe she was thinking about her life. Maybe she was just thankful for the grace that had been shown her. I don't know, but it made an impression. It's been years since we've been up there. And I just thought that maybe that's the way that I should be. Um, if we look at two verses here, verse 6 and verse 8, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we do not the truth. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those two verses point out that no matter how good we think we are, we're never good enough. We always need the grace of the Lord Jesus. And it, I guess the one, I sat down in my chair this morning and I thought, why would a man make a decision to sin even though he knows the outcome will be devastating, why would he choose his carnal thinking over the Spirit of God? And yet then I took that same thought and I thought about myself. Why would I sin in the presence of God if I'm truly a believer, if I know that the outcome will only be evil? Why would I ever misstep? But you know, the truth is here that we do. And we can live as good as we can, which we, we try to do that, but there's going to be times that we should move out and we don't. There's going to be things that 
the Lord actually asks us to do and we decide not to. And those can be, the word will uphold that, that they are, sin, they are sins also. But if we go to the seventh then and the ninth verses, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what could be a greater blessing than to know that our unrighteousness is that we're cleansed from it. We've just said that we all sin, we all fall down, and that is what David had done. I don't know what his mind was, why he chose carnality over the Spirit of God. I don't know why we do that sometimes, but here we have the truth before us. He is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and the point that I want, that I've been thinking about, is God is not a genie in a bottle. The, the repentance that he is so willing to accept is not a quick, oh, sorry about that. But David gives us a good example of true repentance. We have to examine ourselves and then we find ourselves wanting. We find ourselves, we fall short. But then the grace of God kicks in and he forgives us because we are sorry. We're truly sorry and we spend time on our knees and we spend time at the throne of grace just realizing that what a great blessing it is to be able to fall up on our face in front of this faithful one who shed his blood for us. What a, just what a great blessing. Um, I wondered then in this verse that it says uh, in verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, who would ever say that? Uh, after you've lived a few years, you kind of recognize what you are and, and you just get kind of disgusted with yourself. But who would ever say, I think people the worst sinners would say that they're sinners. They don't really, but, but who then says that they don't sin? And the only thing that only, I don't know if this is right or not, but maybe it's those who think that their works are good enough to save them. I don't know. Um, I don't think that is in the heart of any of us. I think we know, and I think we are thankful that the Lord Jesus if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So may we go forward with that thought today in thanksgiving that the word contains that and we can believe it. It's time to go to prayer. Do we have prayer requests this morning? <clears throat> yes, Bill?
So let's remember to pray for those who are in Pennsylvania that are learning about abuse. Um, pray for wisdom and pray for guidance from the Lord in all those all that subject matter has been discussed. Anyone else? Good morning and welcome to worship. What a wonderful privilege we have today to come together. I don't know of any place I would rather be than with a group of worshipers worshiping the Lord. About a month ago we talked about the pleasure originated and generated within God himself the joy of the triune Godhead. And today we would like to talk about how mankind can live in God's pleasure. We have chosen for a text some words out of the last verse of this 51st chapter of Psalms. Thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. And we have chosen to title the message today, Living in the Scope of God's Pleasure. How will I do that? Living in the Scope of God's Pleasure. Psalms 51 is an account of David given to us in first person. And I would suppose as you look at this psalm, it would hardly seem like a proper chapter to talk about living in the scope of God's pleasure. But I would also say that probably every child of God is able to resonate with this chapter in one way or another. I certainly can personally. <clears throat> this chapter is the example of repentance and the desire of a repentant sinner to please God. Let's think about David a moment. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Isaiah speaks of the sure mercies of David. And just to go short with that, that is the blessing of God to the whole world. Paul explained that phrase in Acts when he taught this. Jesus Christ is born in the lineage of David, crucified, resurrected eternally, God's mercy through the grace of Jesus Christ available to all. But there was a point in David's life when he disconnected from the pleasure of God. 
When Randy talked about believers and our failure to please God all the time, I don't know what all went through David's mind, but I think he had a time of an unguarded moment. And that's what we all do sometimes. We have some unguarded moments. Well, David, this man after God's own heart, was approached by a prophet, and the Bible just says words like this. This comes from Samuel. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know, sometimes I think God relates his displeasure to establish what pleases him. Let's just use the example of sin. God hates sin. We all know that. And he gave the law to show men how sinful sin is. The law dealt with perfect action in the flesh. And we're going to, uh, we're going to this morning let the scripture explain a lot of this to us because it can much better than I can. We're going to read some verses from the third chapter of Romans right now. And you don't have to go there if you don't want to. But we're going to read a couple verses starting in the 19th verse. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that the world, all the world, may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, a few verses, chapters later, we read words like this. In the flesh, man cannot please God. And we also read words, and I thought about this in our Sunday school lesson this morning, when we were talking about the flesh and the spirit. And Paul says this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it's impossible to please God in the flesh, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, let's, let's read on here a little bit. But now, we're in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ and to all that, and, and unto all upon all them that believe, there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness 
that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And you'll notice a couple places in this reading it said by faith and through faith. And we read it, it is impossible to please God without faith. So it's not possible to please him in the flesh. Flesh can't inherit the kingdom. And it's impossible to please him without faith. I guess I'll just, the short of this is, what I want us to get out of this is that sin abounded, but grace did much more abound. You will notice that in this reading from the 21st verse through the 26th verse, that God declares his righteousness four times there. And the text verse that we had this morning was that God is pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. So God, in these verses, pleases his own righteousness. He is the justifier of his own justice, and he is justified by the sacrifice, the blood, and the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and he is pleased when we, by faith, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and are led by the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be filled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that is the backdrop that I have for Psalm 51. Now let's look at the psalm. I want to consider the first four verses together in this psalm. It's already been read, so I'll not read over it all. <clears throat> I want to go to the third verse first. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. This is David speaking. It is his confession. He owned his sin. When Nathan came to him, he said, I have sinned. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't try to justify his sin. He did not blame his sin on someone else. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, if Bathsheba just hadn't been out there on the roof taking a bath, it, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem. I was framed or, you know, it, it wasn't really my fault. He didn't do any of that. He admitted his sin. Well, let's go on to... Uh, 
first part of verse 4. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Along with his confession, he was repenting to God for he had sinned against God. Repentance is a godly sorrow for sin. Now let's go to verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He was calling on God in his repentance for the mercy of his forgiveness. You know, I think about Jesus... uh, as he gave us a parable about two men that went to the temple. And he said one man didn't even lift up his eyes, and he just smote on his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus said about that man? He said that man went down to his house justified because he was willing to own his sin and to confess it to God, and he was sorry for it. Well, let's go to verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David held nothing back from God. He wanted to be thoroughly cleansed and he wanted to be thoroughly washed. He renounced sin in its thoroughty. Last part of verse 4. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. David turned himself completely over to God in full surrender to God dealing with him however he chose. Does that describe the way I repent? You know, the the Bible says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And the Bible also says that God is pleased with repentance. And we get this from the gospel. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons that don't need any repentance. It is well-pleasing to God when I truly repent. Well, let's go on here. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I think he is just warning us and reminding us here that the natural state of the flesh In that state, all men possess a fallen nature, and this sinful nature does not please God. Now, God forgives sin. But let's remember that sin does have consequences. The child that David conceived with Bathsheba in adultery died. The sword never departed from David's house. There was evil conflict within the relationship of his children in his own house. And his wives 
were given to other men for all of Israel to see. Now that all seems like a, a really pretty stiff set of consequences for disobedience. But you know what? They're all temporal consequences. You know what the consequence of unrepentant sin is? They are eternal consequences of separation from God forever. <clears throat> well, I'm going to skip verse 6 and go to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And I like this verse a lot. This is a salvation verse the pleasure of God is present when men cry out in faith for the saving blood of Jesus he purges he cleanses and he washes I'm just going to let the scripture comment again about that this is Jesus Christ by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having re obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Not only is sin removed, it's not just rolled back, but the guilt of the conscience from sin is purged. I want you to remember that. The blood of Jesus Christ purges even the guilty conscience for my sin. And if you've got baggage after you've been to the cross, then you haven't been there in faith. We're not to pick up baggage and bondage that's supposed to be left at the cross. You know, I think it'd just be a good time for all of us to do some acknowledging. I'd like for you to take out your songbook again to worship His Majesty and turn to 249. Bill, you just lead us in that, if you would, please. We'll sing 249. I'd like for you to pay close attention to the words here. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
let's go back up to verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And uh, I think I'll just stop right there and we'll comment on that in just a moment. Truth in the inward parts. A desire of a true heart. And to me, that is a call to obedience, and God is pleased with that. When we walk in obedience as his child. I think about Paul's letter that he wrote to Colossae. And he said, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So it's well-pleasing unto the Lord when his children walk in obedience. Disobedience displeases the Lord. We've talked some here about uh, parents' responsibility to their children and to God in child-rearing, but I don't think we've ever talked or mentioned very much about children's responsibility to their parents, and we're going to just make a couple comments, and it's not about young children. Um, and I want to do this as uh, kindly and gracefully as I can, but I would like to address adolescent and grown children that have children of their own. I have observed that uh, there is uh, some dishonor and disrespect shown to the example of a godly parent. And many of these adolescent and grown children that have shown this disrespect claim the title of born-again believers. But I think some of the lifestyle is in glaring displeasure to God. And we're just going to mention a couple things. And I'd rather not do this. I'd like to, not, I'd like to get out of this, but you know, I think that as a minister of the gospel, I've got to teach the truth in both sides of it. So I'll just mention a couple things. And one of them that I think is a glaring displeasure to God is disfiguring the body with ink and body piercings. And another one I think that is a, a great displeasure to God is immodesty. And we're just going to leave it at that. You know, I realize I'm of old school, but the principles of God do not change. And I think we should not be deceived that God will not be mocked. Well, let's move on. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. To know wisdom. The word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God is pleased with a wise and discerning heart. 
He told Solomon that when he was at Dothan, at Gibeon, I believe. God's will, his wisdom, and his word all go together. And for me, in my own personal life, to experience the good pleasure of his will in my life, I must be saturated with his word. That will please God. I want to consider verse 8 and 12 together. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me by thy free spirit. And I realize that those verses are about restoration. But I have this to say about that in our own lives, in my life. Peace and assurance and joy will accompany my being in the scope of God's pleasure. And if they are absent from my life, I have not yet discerned the good pleasure of his will for a particular area of my life. 9 through 11. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And this is still about restoration. But I think it was David's prayer in these verses that moment by moment, renewal by the Holy Spirit would be in his life. Believers should always seek direction and rely on the Holy Spirit to discern God's will. A continuous process of asking, seeking, and knocking. I think of a man that lived for 365 years, the Bible says, and that moment by moment he was connected with God and he never did experience any disconnect. He stayed connected by faith to God. <clears throat> he did not experience a disconnect and he did not die for God took him. And the Bible says that the testimony of his life was that he pleased God. He pleased God. Verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. <clears throat> this is the ministry of commission for the gospel. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And Jesus said, he said, you're going to be witnesses of me. In Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he left us with the responsibility to teach men to observe all the commandments that he had given and to baptize men in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, O Lord. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Praise and thanksgiving 
acknowledged through the mouth. This is pleasing to God. God desires praise and thanksgiving and worship. And we're going to just use a couple more verses here. This is by Jesus Christ. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, and to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou lightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God uses, well, the writer here, God's word. David uses two verses in conjunction here, in contrast, showing the displeasure of God, what he does not desire, and what he does desire, the pleasure of God. We're going to read again out of God's word. And this again is Jesus. He said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices... For sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, as it is written to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which... Will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every high priest standeth daily and ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till he make his enemies his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also witnesses for us, to us, that after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with thee after those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law into their hearts and into their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more Offering for sin. Do I believe that teaching? Will I be broken at the cross? Will I treat Jesus as an Old Testament priest or my Savior? You know, he, as we stated earlier, he wants to purge us from even the guilt of our sin. Will I be broken at the cross? Will I revere his sacrifice? God will be pleased if I do, and it is not his will that any should perish. Do thy good pleasure and design build thou the walls of Jerusalem. 
This is David's prayer for the sanctification of believers. Today, believers, under the direction of the sanctifying grace of God are his pleasure. And now we come to where we took our text from. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Thank the sacrifices of righteousness. Thanksgiving is one of those. But the sacrifices of righteousness, his righteousness. Let's go back to David, the man after God's own heart. I want to use another, another experience that David had. David heard and he saw Goliath defy the armies of the living God. Now, I want to ask you, do you think that it was the stone or it was David that killed Goliath? I believe personally that it was God himself that killed Goliath. And that David's faith was the link between God and his slaying of the giant. And I also believe that faith in God and his operation is the only link I have to his righteousness. The only sacrifice of righteousness that I have to offer is faith in his righteousness. For a benediction, I'd like to just use a couple more verses from the word. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Every virtue we possess and every virtue won and every thought of holiness are his and his alone. I have no righteousness to offer God, nothing of myself that is well-pleasing, only faith in what he has already done for me. Do you believe that? Does your life show that in example as we live? I think I'll just ask everyone to stand and we'll have a closing prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, our Father in heaven, as we come to you at the close of this service today, we just want to thank you, first of all, that you are our God and that you have even before we existed, made a great plan for our lives. 
and you have executed that plan knowing that we would fail you, by the sacrifice of your son before the foundation of the world for whosoever will. And Lord, we thank you so much for that today. Help us never to take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ lightly. The great cost for my sin. The great payment. The great statement of your love for the souls of men that you created. So we thank you today for creating us in your likeness and image. And we are sorry where we fail at. But we thank you so much for the great redemption power. Not only were you God of creation, you were God of redemption. And we thank you so much that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And that your love reigns. And we realize that you're as much a God of justice as you are love. And we pray that we would always remember that as we live. And that we would walk close to you. And where we stumble, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal that to us. And we would be constrained from within by him dwelling in our hearts to come before you and your throne, holding nothing back, being restored and redeemed again over and over. We realize that it was one time by his blood, but as we fall short, we come again and again, and you're always willing to forgive. We thank you for those things. We just pray today that anyone here who does not know your redeeming power or who has doubts in their lives about the assurance that they can have in your salvation would be able to, by your working in their life or another believer coming alongside, see that there is so much joy and peace in giving their whole lives into you and letting you work therein by your power and your love and your might. I do want to pray for those of our congregation again who are missing here and have went to other areas for ministry in your service. I just pray you would bless each one of them. And I pray that you would uh, just bless the message of the gospel as it goes forth from every heart that is here today, this next week, that your kingdom would increase and that you would receive glory. I know there are so many people that are hurting. There are people who need your touch of healing. They need your comfort, your peace, your rest, your joy, the hope that you offer your love and your mercy and your grace. So I pray that you would just touch lives, that they would see that they do have a purpose. They were created to glorify you in these temporal things in a world that is ravaged by sin and evil will pass and that there is glory for whosoever will that comes to you. We just look forward to that day and we pray all these things through the precious name of Jesus, our great Savior. Amen.